So yeah, welcome back to the Best Worst Podcast, bringing you the um, best and worst of uh, cinema as we know it. And uh, it's our second, second shot at the, uh, the New Zealand Film Festival uh, program for 2011. Which will be starting right up on Thursday. And uh, if you haven't <laughs> bought your tickets yet and you're wondering what to see, we're here for you. Yeah, dude, get in and buy some tickets quick because uh, things are starting to sell out. Yeah. Um, what else uh, do you think people really need to see that they might not um, seek out otherwise? Oh, that they might not seek out otherwise? Mixed cut off. Film I'm probably looking forward to most. Has a big name um, that they might have heard. Michelle Williams um, is the lead. Um, director Kelly Reichert is her third film, I think, or fourth. It's her. There's also a film called Ode that she did that I think is like an hour long, but oh, it's yeah. her fourth feature length, yeah, fourth. River of Grass, and Ode, and then there was a long break, yeah. and um, Old Joy, which is played Joy, at the yeah. festival, Wendy and Lucy, Wendy and Lucy which um, played in the slow cinema section, I think, the year that it played. Yeah. And this, interestingly, Meek's Cutoff is not in the slow cinema section. I've actually seen it, but we'll talk about that yeah. a bit more after you've talked about it. Um, essentially, it's uh, a Western... Um, uh, based in uh, the Oregon Trail is a group of travellers um, and, and I think it's based off some journals of people who actually took the trip so it's, it's based from a, a, a real trip but it takes more the perspective of the woman on the wagon train and how they deal with the situation and 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 the, and the situation the increasingly dodgy situation they find themselves in when the men that are leading the party sort of come unstuck they don't really know what they're doing so it's not your classical western where it's a shoot 'em up with a bunch of guys having a draw at their whatever corral um it's more the hard, the hardships um of life on the trail um and then where did women feature in that um and there's other interesting things to me like she shot in an academy format rather than 16 by 9 yeah. you know, widescreen or hope it projects in the right format yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which, um, which is, 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 is amazingly used um, I, I happened to be in Melbourne the other week and it was playing so I saw it and um, I said, would say that I went in a bit of a cynic I've not seen Wendy and Lucy which was her previous film featuring Michelle Williams I've seen Old Joy which was the film before that which you and I found that to be a real slog and that's as somebody who's a big Will Oldham fan who stars in it and oh, yeah. somebody who is from Portland where it's set yeah. and so I went in quite predisposed to like it having good interviews and I found it really tough to get through and I went into Meek's cut off expecting not necessarily I, I noted that it got in a lot of really glowing reviews and I was curious to see it but there was certainly a part of me that was prepared to see it the worst. <laughs> and, and, and to be honest like looking at all of these films if it doesn't rank among you know my top six or seven of films that play this year, I'll be quite surprised. It's it's a very assured film. Yeah. It um, at the start it reminded me of uh, Gus Van Sant's Jerry a little bit. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, in that it is a lot of it is about process, about um, what it is to be on this wagon train. I mean, one of the things you talk about, you know, women's roles and men's roles, and and that can sound quite schematic. And I I can tell you that in the process of it, it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't yeah. feel like a tract. It feels very experiential yeah. about this day in, day out, in the middle of nowhere. You don't know where you're going. Um, you have a leader that you may or may not be able to trust. Um, and I don't really want to say more about it yeah. than that in terms of the content. Yeah. But in terms of the feel... It is similar to Jerry in that you have that sense of process, yeah. but because you have a larger group of characters and those dynamics, 
there is a lot more story yeah. that carries you with that, even yeah. when often you do have a shot of a minute or two of yeah, walking. Yeah. Because um, whereas Jerry with the two of them, it was an interesting piece of cinema, but it did it was hard going at times because it did just yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Jerry, and I felt that it accurately captured the feeling of what it would be like to be lost in the desert. Yeah. But there's not a lot of story beyond that, whereas here there is a lot going on. There are character arcs. There yeah. are there are more of the conventional trappings. And, and maybe that's why it didn't wind up in the slow cinema yeah. banner this year, because I do think it has that potential. Um, the end, I will not spoil anything specific about it, but it will be a divisive ending, and that's all I'll say yeah. about it. But I do think it's a very striking yeah. film. I read some interviews and stuff um, in Filmmaker Magazine about it um, with um, both Michelle Williams and um, Kelly Rackett. But I, I saw Wendy and Lucy, they work together on that. Um, and essentially Michelle Williams carries that film um, yeah. from an acting point of view. And she's fantastic. Really restrained performance, um, quite subtle. For me, it was better than her Blue Valentine Right, which I haven't seen. I've meant to, but um, there's also Bruce Greenwood in this film as well, um, who's um, been in a lot of Adam McGowan's films, and he's oh, a yeah, quite yeah. a recognizable face, and he yeah. plays um, the um, Meek. Oh, I was yeah, about Meek, to say the yeah. titular Meek, yeah. which is always a weird word to use. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because he's actually got quite an out- outward performance. Uh, oh, there's yeah. Paul Dano from There Would Be Blood oh, yeah, in this yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. And um, there's a couple other faces that are recognizable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. familiar to me. I, I'm forgetting some of the names right now. But um, Shirley Henderson, actually, who's been in a couple things. And it is about this group. And, and Michelle <clears throat> Williams does eventually kind of achieve quite a dominant sort of yeah. role in the film. But um, yeah, there's a huge... Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess not a I, huge seven yeah. or eight characters, but um, yeah, there there is a group around it. That's and, nice um, to know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, and it, it's quite an ensemble piece in that sense. Cool. And um, yeah, it's highly recommended by me certainly. Yeah, and obviously, and I, and I'd, I'd recommend so. that um, from her from the previous week, well, from Wendy and Lucy, and and I enjoyed Old Joy actually probably more than you did. Yeah, um, uh, but, but be hard. in terms of stuff that people might miss, I think that would be one that yeah. you might be surprised at we showed a DVD of Wendy and Lucy to our um, flatmates we sat down and watched it with them um, uh, Melissa and I and they aren't big cinema people um, and they really enjoyed it I think it was probably a little slower than they thought but I think they they enjoyed the sort of the poetic feel to it yeah don't, don't go in expecting guns blazing no. and, 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 and a relaxed pace <clears throat> um, in terms of one that I think might um, elude a lot of people uh, there's a film called Martha Marcy May Marlene mm. that's playing that um, played to great acclaim at Sundance and mm. Con as well. And it's about a woman who's a survivor of a cult yes. who is now um, trying to uh, rejoin normal life Slightly, yeah. and not finding it that easy. Um, we talked before about... The Seems to be a bit of a theme this year with cults. <laughs> there is. Uh, there's a film called Higher Ground yeah, that yeah. Um, didn't make it into the festival this year. Um, but there's something else in the film, in the festival that I remember reading that had something to, had a cult sort of aspect to it as well, but I can't remember what it was. It might have been a documentary. Right, let me know because I'd and, probably want to see it. And then Tabloid has that kind of loose sort of connection yeah. as well. Yeah, well, and of course, obviously, the cult, the series played here. And I think, I think um, you know, you can make some larger themes of sense of belonging and, you know, in a, yeah. in a postmodern <laughs> universe and what have you, but we won't go down that road too far. <laughs> um, what I did want to go down the road is, I mentioned before, this sort of production family, Dog Tooth, Attenberg oh, yeah, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. And there's a similar thing going on here. There's a film called After School, which I don't think has ever received a proper New Zealand release, but um, 
came out about two years ago, directed by a guy named Antonio Campos. And um, it's a stunning film. Uh, it's his first film. And um, Where's it from? It's American, uh, New York. Uh, and um, it's about a private school and a student there who's very disaffected. Um, and the fact that you can make comparisons to Kubrick and Haneke and still come out the other side of the film thinking, obviously, it's not as good as the best of Kubrick and Haneke, okay. but it's better than the worst of Kubrick yeah, and Haneke. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and it's, it's, it's a stunning debut. Yeah. Utterly unsentimental. Um, after school. I, after school, it's okay, called. Um, it. Yeah, you have to watch it. Um, it's uh, <laughs> it's disappointing that it's never made it here in an official context. Um, Did it play a festival one year? No, no, it didn't. Um, but it, uh, Mike D'Angelo, who oh, I mentioned yeah, yeah. before, um, spoke really highly of it, so I tracked it down. And um, it's it's out on DVD in the States if you feel like importing it, um, which may, you probably can't do between now and then. But um, it speaks again to these sort of families of um, filmmakers that are kind of seem to be a recurring thing going on. And um, Antonio Campos, who directed that as the producer of Martha Marcy May Marlene. And so I like to think that, um, and I believe that he actually said at the time that, you know, he's like, there's a group of us and I happen to make the first uh, film. Yeah, yeah. Somebody else is making the next, the next film. Yeah. But, you know, you have these people with a common sensibility and they'll yeah. each have their attachment to it. And so that's one reason that this film, which otherwise, it's a first film. I mean, in terms of commercial appeal, um, John Hawks is in it, who um, has been in a lot of things. Deadwood, um, last year's Winter's Bone, he was uh, oh. Teardrop. Oh, Teardrop, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I already told you to shut up once yeah, with yeah. my mouth. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, Brady Corbett, who is in Mysterious Skin, oh, okay. um, is in it. And um, Elizabeth Olsen is the lead, who, oh, you know. Yes, yeah, yeah, um, that's yeah. right, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was one of the two Elizabeth Olsen films to play Sundance this year. Um, I think it's going to be one that um, you know the average person reading the book is like I don't I I don't know, but um, I think for somebody who wants a really stunning piece of not necessarily very happy cinema, but um, that'll be really unforgettable. It'll yeah, definitely I, be up I, there. That made my list as as a not the top uh, set, but the, the next set down, and I certainly think it will be one of those films that will be surprisingly good just from the description yeah and yeah. now that it's got sort of some some pedigree from being part of that group yeah I think that's probably yeah I definitely recommend taking a look at it what else is on uh, your list of excitement each year I try and get to a few classics um, Taxi Driver on the big screen 35 mil gotta do it um, when are you gonna get a chance to do it um, so I think if you get a chance and, and you love cinema then you've got it you've got to see it on the big screen there's um, also obviously Nosferatu this yeah, year. Yeah, Nosferatu um, and Metropolis as well. Um, Metropolis is one of those ones where I sort of think, and Nosferatu as well, because they're so they're back in the era of silent cinema. <laughs> to me, they're the kind of things that you almost, as as someone that's keen on cinema, you feel like you have to have seen them, and if you get a chance to see them on the big screen, you've kind of got to. Yeah. I had them on that, so they're on my list, and I think I'm going to try and get to them both, but I may not make it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, whereas it's, Taxi Driver, I'm gonna make. It's a tough thing because I, I mean, I have seen Taxi Driver. I've seen uh, La Dolce Vita as well as playing the show. It's an yeah, amazing yeah. film. I was lucky enough to have seen that on 35 yeah. mil before. And I there's, mean, there's I, no retrospectives this year, is there? There's not a themed one. They haven't had a themed one. Because the they, last they two often years. have a, either a themed or or a, or a, a particular director re- yeah. retrospective. I think I think it might be a budget cuts. 
kind of getting funding yeah. for that. And I think instead they're focusing on titles. One um one film, Wild River, that's playing, which oh, I'm not yeah. I'm not actually familiar no, with. Neither am I. Um, but um Martin Scorsese Cinema Foundation, which I can't remember the name of, it may be called the Cinema Foundation, um, is. is responsible for restoring it. And um, mm-hmm. last year the titles that played from that were uh, The Night of Counting the Years and oh, so yeah. um, neither of which I was familiar with before and both were stunning. Yeah. And so I think to be honest, as much as you know, those four films that we've mentioned are classics. I think Wild River might be the one of those I prioritize oh, yep. just because it will be, you know, Wait, the, you this restoration the of the yeah. film that, you know, they've decided, hey... Someone else has found. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, Taxi Driver's an amazing film and, you know, I'd love to see it again on the big screen. I've seen it once before on the big screen. Yeah, but, I have um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it's a no-brainer for anyone who hasn't seen Taxi Driver or La Dolce Vita yeah. or, you know, Nosferatu. Uh, Metropolis is coming back in November with the New Zealand Symphony, Symphony Orchestra. Orchestra. Yeah. And so you can kind of... Uh, Block that out ...make your... Uh, yeah. ...that... Um, Going in a completely non-classicist direction, how about 13 Assassins? Yeah, Takashi <laughs> a big screen spectacle. Um, Takashi Miike, who's done Audition. Uh, there's a film called Gozi, which I dearly love, which I don't uh, think hasn't it got as much press here. And kind of on a more pop, more recent level was his um, Sukiyaki with Django. Yeah, which I'm not as big a fan of, but no, has its no. fans. Uh, Ichi the Killer. He makes about four films a year, really. Oh, uh, he makes more. The, the dude <laughs> makes so many films. I, I couldn't believe it when I when I checked him out. I didn't realise, because we don't get them all here. Um, oh, not even close. Um, I don't I think fan, anyone gets them all. I don't know I, if they come out in Japan. <laughs> I, I don't know, because I haven't seen them all, but I wonder if there's a different level of quality and time and effort put into them or whether he just sort of throws himself into all of them he clearly has a high capacity for output and energy he makes more films than most people I know and if you just check him out on IMDB and look at how many films he's involved in directing yeah it's, it's ridiculous well it's telling that I think that um, for as many films as he puts out and as you know some of the yeah. name films that he's put out he's come to attention you know there haven't been that many films that make it through here and some of those films that haven't like Go Zoo for instance are quite um, I think really strong pieces of work and so um, and I think a lot of cult film fans would find even some of his weaker stuff well worth watching and so when something like 13 Assassins does um, break through and it has um, got a bit of theatrical release in the States and um, got very positive response from everyone who's seen it I think it's really worth standing up and taking note yeah. that um, you know somebody is really up their game from you know what's the usual level of yeah. interesting quality cinema. And you've you've seen this, right? Yeah, or, yeah. I, yeah. I, I saw a, a, a screener copy of uh, Thirteen Assassins because I was uh, writing an article on it uh, for a magazine uh, related to the um, Hong Kong Film Festival earlier in the year. Um, and we're at one um, uh, the Asian Film Awards the best production and design, right? And, and the vibe I have from it um, is that it's a bit of a throwback to samurai-era kind of yes, stories. Yes, very much. And, I mean, yeah. there's, there's, um, there's tones of Kurosawa, uh, obviously, um, uh, Seven Samurai. Um, but for me, what it felt like, the Mika stuff I've seen has been quite stylized. Right. Um, and some of it heavily so. And this one, I think he pulls back from that. I think he makes more of a classic kind of epic. Um, but he does it so well. 
Um, and so, I mean, a lot of it, he shoots action like nobody. It's, well, like very few people. Right, he yeah. does it really well. But I think he's he's approached this kind of very idealized section of Japan, Japan's history, which has been put to cinema so many times, in a very respectful way. He doesn't yeah. try to um, make it something kind of um, crass or, or gauche. He, he, he makes a really kind of a somewhat classic classic take on that. And I've heard, uh, read an interview with him where he said he wanted to do the genre, like he, he wanted to look back at the old samurai genre of film at looking at their history that they kind of celebrate and idealise to a degree and, and do a samurai pick or whatever the word term he used but do it well and I think he's done that yeah he's a very um, I mean you have filmmakers who have the thing that they do and we'll get yeah. to one of those soon and they do it over and over and you love it or you don't love it but I've, I've for instance I've recently just watched a gangster trilo- trilogy of his which can other uh, rainy dog ley lines and um, Shinjuku Triad Society, <laughs> oh, yeah. and um, they're relatively conventional films yeah. for the you know the yakuza thing. And um, some of his films are quite conventional. Some of his films are quite unconventional. Yeah, um, he's not committed. He's he's almost like a Steven Soderbergh or a Michael Winterbottom yeah. in that sense um, of somebody who will adapt their style quite fluidly to what they're working yeah, on yeah. and and doesn't feel the need to imprint this is who I am in every film for better yeah. or for worse um, and so um, the idea of him taking on a, a genre that I'm quite raptured with you know yeah, har- yeah. films like Harakiri <coughs> yeah. you know Samurai Rebellion yeah. you know the Kurosawa films that you've mentioned I love samurai films yeah. and you know well, I, this, I love this, the idea this, of a good respectful one of 21st century production values yeah to, to me this sits up there with those great samurai films um, that, that's really hand. exciting to me it's one of the reasons I'm very excited and about this I film and I think yeah, it is a film that if, you, if you're thinking you might get to it it deserves to be seen on a big screen don't wait for DVD I would say that, like, uh, I had the same sense uh, about True Grit, having seen that. You know, it's a Western film that you could think, oh, it's Western, I could just watch it on DVD. It deserved to be seen on a big screen. Yeah, I think that's something that's really important about, like, you know, for both of us, you know, we've got all these films. How do you narrow it down? And that's always one of the decision criteria, what deserves to be seen on a big screen. And for me, 13 um, Assassins was clearly one that fit that bill. Like, and and it's, it has the sense of an epic film, where actually the story is quite contained. Right. Yeah. But you could say that about Seven Samurai yeah, as well, yeah, yeah, I suppose, I guess, yeah. where it is actually a quite contained yeah, story, true. but this larger universe. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, big screen films, um, so Terrence Malick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Do so we need to say any more, actually? I mean, I think it's probably one of those everybody's heard very of Very controversial uh, with uh, standard film going public. I think it's a film that you need to see yourself and make your own mind up about. Um, it's a film I can't see to wait to see the second time. You've seen it already? I haven't seen it. No. <laughs> but um, you know what? It's, um, it's, I think it's a film that, um, you know, there's, there's um, a great uh, thing going around the internet right now about a theater in Connecticut that's put up, oh, I think yeah. it's in that's put up a sign saying, you know, no this is an art, art, art film. We believe in um, playing art films. And, you know, um, I think in a time where narrative cinema is taking less and less chances. It's really exciting to see something that by all accounts... It's getting compared to 2001, which as I've mentioned a couple times now, is one of my favorite films that combines a narrative structure with epic leaps of imagination. And I can't imagine being able to take it... I mean, I've seen 2001 
11 or 12 times. And every time I watch it, like, I'll think it's about a different thing. And I mean, I could be bitterly disappointed with Tree of Life, but I think I'll still probably see it at least twice. Um, because to have some, have a filmmaker whose talent, I mean, you know, I haven't loved every single one of his films, but I've never questioned his commitment and vision and that he's reaching for something. Yeah. And um, even when it doesn't always quite come together for me in the way that I want, and sometimes I suspect that has as much to do with studio and commercial compromises as yeah. it does with his vision, there's unquestionably a vision yeah, there that, I, that there are very few filmmakers who even dream of trying to reach, much less can achieve. Yeah. And any film I think that uh, divides people that much uh, <laughs> is worth seeing. Because, I mean, the, the films that aren't worth seeing are the films that you just go, meh. Yeah, whatever. Well, that's um, kind of that's kind of, and I think like I mean, in reality, it may be that only like a couple of our friends listen to this. But I think our hope is that like that yeah, people might be listening to this that are like wondering what to watch, and I think or wanting to learn more about cinema. And I think that those are the things where you learn about you know who you are and what your tastes are yeah, watching yeah. those divisive films, you know. And and um, I think probably another one worth talking about because I think we have different opinions on it is the new Lars von Trier film <laughs> yeah. yeah to be honest I don't know a lot about it and I haven't seen Antichrist yet really okay yeah I never got never got to it um, but right. I've seen most of uh, von Trier's earlier work I, I have a really complicated relationship with von Trier like when I was first getting into foreign film yeah. and art cinema I just started going to everything at the local art house. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so I went to see a film that I didn't know anything about called Breaking the Waves. Breaking the Waves All yeah. I knew about it is it had a cute girl on the poster, and it said, Love is a Mighty Power. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be some sweet thing about this cute girl. <laughs> that may have been the first time I cried in a cinema, and I cried a lot. And, yeah, I mean, embarrassing admissions, what have you. <laughs> um, and I said, this is a guy that I have to watch. And. Um, and I and I think um, there is a sense that I felt like leading up to a lot of his films that he has sort of revolutionary films like Dogville, and then he has yeah. films that are kind of evolutionary films. And I think Antichrist is also one where he's synthesizing kind of these two sides of like his kind of dogma, yeah. shaky cam, whatever, with his more stylized element yeah. of crime stuff. Having said that, my favorite film that he's done in the last, possibly since Breaking the Waves, is... Um, the boss of it all, which is a film. Really? <laughs> and everyone has that reaction. And it's a trifle. Well, I enjoyed it. It's a trifle of a film. Yeah. But, um, but he I goes think... out of his way to, to say that it's... He goes out of his way to downplay it and say it's a trifle. Yeah, but you but... know he's not meaning that. Or he is, he is and he isn't. He is and he isn't. It's the only one of his films he's never submitted to Khan. Um, and um, I think it is... You get what you deserve. <laughs> yeah, well, they got Antichrist instead, and he he does love being a provocateur and love challenge and and clearly anyone who's paid the slightest bit of attention to any media yeah. um, will get that when he didn't get that reaction from his film that year, he got it from his press conference. Yeah, yeah. And uh, certainly, Antichrist is a very provocative film. Um, Manderley and Dogville are very provocative films, and he. Uh, Five Obstructions, actually, I would say, is another of my favorite yeah, films Yeah, I love Five Obstructions. Um, but it's, it's these films that are kind of off his beaten path that yeah. he's kind of 
carving for himself, you know, and there's this whole, he added Vaughn to his name because of Vaughn Sternberg, and there's yeah. this kind of, like, sense that he struggles deeply on a daily basis with who he is as a filmmaker in the larger film firmament. Yeah. And it's like, I kind of feel like, oh, just lose that and make some stuff like Five Obstructions or Boss of It All. Yeah. And he could have this really interesting set of films, and it's when he struggles with this stuff. And, I mean, I know people who love Antichrist, and I know people who... Like, their most anticipated film this year is Melancholia. And I'm kind of... I'll probably wind up seeing it, to be honest. But I'm interested to uh, see what he does. I, I don't yeah. love everything he does, but I, I I find he does repeat himself quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but in, some, in a similar way to the Dardens, I guess, in that they, they're, they're tracking similar ideas in a similar way, but it's not to say that they're all exactly the same and you don't... Yeah. Like... Uh, and you could say they're in a series. Like, for instance, Breaking the Waves, um, Dogville, even, and Dance from the Dark all had a very similar trajectory. And the idiots as well. There's that um, I, element I don't know of about fe- the idiots. Well, it's, there's the element of um, female uh, martyrdom. Yeah. And that's what... I mean, that is um, something that carries for the idiots as well, where you discover kind of her martyrdom yeah, yeah. in the end of that. Um, but yeah, there is this thing, I, I guess, um, and there's another filmmaker I'd like to talk to talk about in terms of that, but where there is this richer thing by having seen all their films and seeing where it fits in. Yeah. Like, I saw Antichrist, um, and I had a really complicated reaction to it, because I really, like, I almost reacted to it more in ter- partially in terms of, oh, this is this really interesting synthesis of all these things and partially and i talked about i saw the devil before and i'm afraid of it i actually almost passed out during antichrist (laughs) um it was a tough sit for me um just because it does wallow in the sadism and masochism of the scene not in any sort of like fetishistic pleasurable way but in very dark Dark, yeah dark uncomfortable ways and no even if you've heard i thought i was prepared for it because i've heard about the money scene, so to speak. Oh, I, I haven't heard um, about the money scene. I, I, won't, so I won't just spoil it for yeah. you. Um, but it goes... It's not just that it goes some very deep, disturbing places, but it, it takes a long time getting there. Yeah, And yeah. wallows a lot in the process of yeah. physical disturbing. And then this patina of art cinema, so it is very uncomfortable. Yeah. But um, Melancholia, actually, by all accounts, is not as uncomfortable. No, and, no. Um, it is about the end of the world. <laughs> but, but, as, as a director, I think he is one of those people that, again, you know, you might, you, uh, he's very divisive. A lot of people hate everything he does. A lot of people love a lot of the things he does. A lot of people are mixed in between, but few of his films garner a, a nothing response. And I think yeah. that says something. And again, he's one of those names I'd put with the Dardens of a filmmaker that you probably should see one of his films. It was interesting. Mike D'Angelo, um, I brought up a couple times now, but his con reviews this year, he actually said something like he gave um, Kid with a Bike a higher rating than Melancholia. Yeah. But he said, if I could recommend you see one of those films, see Melancholia, because even though it didn't work for him and it was kind of a mess, it takes a lot of chances and does some really strange things um and whereas um, if you've seen if you've seen three or four dardens it's like yeah it's buying it's like buying another pizza at the dardenne restaurant yeah, yeah. whereas like the lars von Trier restaurant you might show up one day and the pizza has 
kangaroo the kangaroo and uh anchovies on it or yeah. something and you're like oh, i don't know about this yeah. uh, um but it is this kind of you yeah. know it is a roller coaster journey i guess um, yes. <laughs> i guess for maybe for you for what the dardens are a, f- a filmmaker who i um have a similar kind of relationship with is hong song su um who i don't know how you feel about um but he's the korean filmmaker who's got two films in this year oki's movie and uh, the day he arrives ah oh, yes yes, he, yes he, last year yes, he had know, two yeah. films as yeah, well like they, you know it all and ha ha ha, 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 ha um yeah, yeah. probably my favorite of his films is turning gate which is several years old at this point i've um, only seen i think two of his films um and you, ha, ha ha i was yeah i was okay um he minds a very narrow field and he mines it repeatedly like, yeah. with incredibly minute variations yeah and um these creative Korean males, they're usually directors, sometimes uh, some similar sort of, sometimes yeah. they're screenwriters. If he's branching out, it might be an actor. Yeah. Um, and they are very assured of themselves, but then they have these foibles involving women. Yeah. And then um, they get involved with the women. And then there's usually some kind of parallel situation in the film that refracts itself. Um, yeah. Ha 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 is the two creative people talking about their experience and yeah, they yeah. discover they're actually talking about the, the same, same experience woman yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and that, that that experience overlapped that's just one of many minute yeah. variations he gets compared to a filmmaker i haven't seen much by eric romer um oh, yeah. who um know you know is um yeah well maybe we should do an eric romer uh yeah yeah fest coming because that is yeah not a name that i've seen very much by but um it is they have this additive power when you see more and more of them about kind of like how his filmmaking develops and the space between that and i suppose in a way if somebody like the darden or lars von Trier is kind of a good intro hong sung su might might be a bad intro in a way in the sense that um it is you know not a taste that's for everybody yeah and yeah. something that the more of his films you see the more they speak to each other but i am um Oki's movie in particular has gotten uh acclaim as being one of his career high points and oh, I'm yeah. very excited about that. Interestingly, the day he arrives, um a lot of people have gotten excited about because the trailer plays in reverse. Oh, right. I think that actually has nothing to do with the film <laughs> whatsoever, but everybody <laughs> saw the trailer and got quite excited and oh. I think he was just like, Oh, that's a clever way to introduce all the characters. And so I suspect some people might be quite disappointed by the film itself. I'm gonna I'm not seeing many as many films this year as I normally see, but I will see those two. Every, every Hong Song Su film going forward um, because I have that engagement with the filmmaker yeah. and, and, and it's just one of those interesting things I guess about being a cinephile is you know it's like yeah. you know and it's something that um, he's dealt with lower and lower budgets as he goes on as well he used to shoot on 35 mil now he shoots on digital and <laughs> uh, you know I don't th- I get the impression his films aren't really received very well locally in Korea. Um, he started getting funding internationally. Night oh, and wow. Day, which played a couple of years ago at yep. the festival, which is one of his few films that I haven't seen because I missed the festival that year. Um, I think it had you know, some, Fr- some French presence in it and some yeah, French yeah. funding. And so it's... Um, but it is really inspiring as a filmmaker who keeps working quite, quite prolifically in this narrow range. But. Yeah. How do you interest other people in that? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they should you interest other people. Well, see, because I, I saw last year, ha ha ha, and I think the previous year I'd seen a Korean film, not exactly the same, but it was similar enough for me called Daytime Drinking, which right. I infinitely preferred. Okay, I haven't seen Daytime Drinking, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that maybe that's just a. This is a very weird analogy, but you know. 
Michael Bay, for instance, you know, he does a very Michael Bay thing. Yes. And, you know, uh, the, most everybody who goes to a movie at this point knows whether or not they want to see a Michael, Michael Bay, Bay thing. Film. Yeah, yeah. You know, and... And obviously, almost nobody's seen Hong Song Su films. Yeah. But I think it's kind of similar. Hong yeah. Song Su does his Hong Song Su thing. thing. Yeah. yeah. And it's like you like it yeah, or you don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's and the thing is because it's a quieter thing and because it's a thing that's maybe I mean I, I'd almost say Woody Allen is a good comparison. Oh, in a way. Yeah, yeah, they don't yeah. have the same voice, but it is kind yeah. of that he's doing the same thing. He's doing relatively similar things from film to film. film yeah. The variation between Woody Allen films it's obviously is very relatively personal. slight. Yeah. Um, well, what about um, Once Upon a Time in Anatolia? Speaking yeah. of filmmakers who work in a similar voice. Yeah, well, very keen. I mean, obviously there's the appeal of the name referencing that whole series of films. Um, what was the first one? Was it Once Upon a Time in the West? Or was it Once Upon a Time in China? Once Upon a Time in the West would have been, um, yeah, I mean, uh, the first film Leone, yeah. in that, yeah, Leonie's film in 68. Once Upon a Time in China was mid-80s. Mid-80s. Um, and then Once Upon a Time in America was... I, it was also mid-80s. Yeah. I, I, I'd have to look up. I think it might have been slightly before Once Upon a Time in China. But yeah. it, it is quite a um, yeah standard convention Should, now. It's that sort of thing. But also, uh, again, pronunciation. Jerry Bozsalan. I'll roll with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I might have said so long, but it, yeah. Took, uh, Bilga, I think it might be, actually. Bilga? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, is uh, one of the more interesting uh, uh, Turkish directors I've come across. Uh, have you with... come across that many? I can't think no, of no, any no, others. Uh, up with, um, say, Fatty Akin. Oh, okay, true, yes. Uh, and uh, he's done uh, a few films. He's kind of becoming a regular in, in our festival. Uh, climates I saw a climates, few years yeah. ago and I loved it's the yeah. film of his I've seen it was a I, I saw that as well it was not only was it sort of beautifully shot but uh, it was it was a an, kind of an excellent uh, narrative arc to it with the following the seasons around and, and and the kind of the how that sort of tracked the relationships in it yeah he, he seems to deal a lot with relationships um, this one I understand is actually more about a murder investigation oh, okay. and um, it's quite long it's like 150 yeah, yeah. minutes and um it definitely has received a sort of mixed um some people at con found it interminably slow oh, yeah. um and it is classified in the slow cinema section this year which is interesting because we mentioned you yeah. know kelly reichardt before whose film has escaped the slow, slow cinema, cinema she's um and slow cinema is interesting because I, 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 have fr- I have a friend in particular who um rages against the very concept of slow cinema and you know it's like, <laughs> why would you go to you know that's just you know fetishizing boredom or something like that um but you know it is um i guess a sense of what you're in for and a sense of calibrating the audience's expectations yeah. um this year uh or in any any year really so um i mean it's on my list i'm gonna go see it um i'm looking quite forward to it yeah i i, I don't know a lot about it but uh but i like the director and i like his previous work so i think it's he's worth a look really for people who haven't seen any of his stuff where should they start climates is not a bad one to start with think although i think um the three monkeys is probably a better film right um what else is on your list uh okay what else is there okay let's go let's go strange let's go incredibly strange yep hobo with a shotgun <laughs> hell yes <laughs> gotta get to that yeah um it's been a struggle because it's showing at the same time as a um 
a film from Sundance called Take Shelter, which I'm very interested in. Nah, um, flip that to the curb, man. Kick it to the curb. Hobo <laughs> with a shotgun. The, the thing is, uh, you know... Rook your howl, man. Come there, on. There's no way it's not going to be... Rook your howl with a shotgun. <laughs> there's no way it's not going to be fun. I love the backstory of this film. Do you know the backstory of the film? Yeah, right? yeah. Should we tell it anyway? Yep. Okay. Oh, yep. So, um, there was a Grindhouse, of course, a couple of years ago, and there was a Grindhouse trailer competition, and uh, the winners... Going house being uh, Tarantino and Rodriguez. Yeah, uh, Death Proof, uh, Planet Terror. Terror. I guess they were yeah. released separately here. But and they the had States, those yeah. little uh, trailers that played between the films. And Yeah, most famously Machete, Machete, which in Machete, of course which, yeah, became, became a, film. a film. And now following the tra- footsteps of Machete, Machete, a fake trailer is becoming films, as well as Ghost Shark 2, Urban Jaws. Yeah, yeah. But that's a whole <laughs> other discussion. Um, but now uh, Hobo with a Shotgun, which is originally created so as a fake Jason trailer. So Jason Eisner? Jason Eisner is his name, and, it, and I think it's his first yeah, feature. Yeah, and he, he won the competition. He won the competition with the hobo with the shotgun, shotgun trailer yeah. and then somehow in the in the process of making it managed to go from a random friend of his playing the lead to Rutger Hauer. Come um, on, man. <laughs> yeah, and 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 so um, by all accounts it's a um, you know, bloody gory mess of a film. It is what it is. Um, he's a hobo, he's got a shotgun. It's a revenge film. A vigilante film. It's B grade. It, it'll be interesting. We were talking about this before uh, rolled that you know some of these films that try to um, emulate the B grade aesthetic often fail because you know a lot of what makes the, that B grade aesthetic is somebody who is reaching well above their ability level yeah. and can't make it. Whereas a lot of these films often um, are people playing below their ability level to try to hit a yeah, commercial yeah. thing. Um, I'm going to go... Classic with Snakes on a Plane. Snakes, yeah, that's actually a perfect example of when that goes wrong. Um, I have every Hope Hobo with a shotgun will go right. I'll be there. I'll be, I'll I be mean, ready you to cheer along with everybody. I mean, you couldn't say that, that, uh, that Rooker Hauer is overreaching because he's, he's a great actor. He's been in some terrible stuff. Oh, yeah. But he's I, been in some great stuff. I, I mean, have you seen any of his uh, early uh, Dutch work? Like Turkish no, I've missed all those Verhoeven films, yeah, yeah. which he's well acclaimed for. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's, he's a great actor. Yeah. And, uh, and obviously uh, Blade Runner. But he, he's always been in some sort of lesser trash. I mean, he came into his own in the 80s in Hollywood. And yeah. uh, you know, he was Blade Runner, but then he was in stupid things like uh, Blind Fury, <laughs> um, Flesh and Blood. <laughs> Flesh and Blood's a Verhoeven one. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. making fun of that. <laughs> oh, yeah, but yeah, it, well, yeah. it was a crappy film. Okay, I've never seen it, so yeah. Uh, and it was from the 80s, you yeah. know, and what we uh, turned back there as TNA, it's yeah. an ass movie. Uh, oh, yeah, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. And um, Hobo with a Shotgun doesn't necessarily have greater aspirations. No. But that, that's the great thing about yeah. this, is you can go see something quite artsy at one time. And yeah, yeah. But I, th- yeah, I think, I think if you want shotgun. pure visceral... Be pleasure. Hover with the shotgun is the film to get yeah. to. There's another film on Incredibly Strange that I'm really excited about. Um, and you know, you talk about. I, th- I think one of the things that you've t- mentioned a couple times now is you know, following actors or actors who are people that would be interested. Yeah, yeah. And I tend to be more of a director's yeah. type person with it. And as a result, um, the Innkeepers. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Um, which is by Ty West, West yeah. will be at the festival, um, which I don't think a lot of people have oh, clocked yeah. on to, but um, uh, uh, the way it's mentioned in the booklet might be a bit subtle this year. Was he but, doing uh, Q&A or something? Yep, he's doing Q&A. After and, the film. Uh, or before, or both. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't... I don't all sessions, he must be, he must be. I don't, I don't, he wouldn't come all this way and not do all sessions. Well, I guess it just depends when they're scheduled. Yeah. But um, yeah, he's definitely coming, and um, the reason I'm excited... Uh, he did a film before this called The House of the Devil. Right. And The House of the Devil is... Which I have not seen. Yeah. 
um, I've said this twice now, but it is one of the best horror films I've seen in the last few years. It's easy to call it a throwback to 80s slashers because it, it, it the production design is very much of a piece with 80s slashers. And yeah. It's this very kind of slow build. Um, but if you actually watch it back to back with something like The Burning or you know Friday the 13th or whatever, it's working on another level. Yeah. Um, he's got a very... Almost, uh, I'd almost say slow cinema sense of how to, you know, let nothing happen. And with one exception, almost nothing happens of consequence in the first hour of House of the Devil in terms of you're writing an actual plot summary. But just building this sense of unease. Yeah. And you know it's called House of the Devil, so you know something has to happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and, and just, this, uh, just this mastery of tone and respect of... Of what a you know horror I, film can that's, be. That's a skill getting yeah. tone and and uh, for horror or thriller, getting tone nailing tone that gets tension going, even when there's not the big visceral mess happening. Well, exactly. Uh, it's yeah. one of the things I really liked about, um, uh, and I love vampire films, but um, let the right one in. Right. Was the the, the thread of tension running consistently through that was fantastic and if he can do that that yeah. kind of thing of just building tension uh, to a degree that's like a throwback to 70s horror uh, like the non-slash race with the devil or something like yeah, that yeah or even some of the um, like the omen Rosemary's like, baby comes yeah, to mind yeah, yeah that kind of stuff where where you don't have the, the gore factor but they were infinitely more scary because they didn't show anything I totally agree I mean I am um, get very frustrated with a lot of the current crop of horror because I like being uncomfortable and I like being scared and I like being on edge. I don't like being disgusted. And I feel like a lot of... um, And it's not that I don't like it in a... Oh, but it challenges me. It's just like... It just feels really cheap and easy. I mean, there's a lot of these films that I I think feel like all they're interested in is spending 15 minutes at you know miter 10 and picking a couple things off the shelf <laughs> and thinking about how they could be used on a human body yeah, and writing yeah. a script around it and you can revolt an audience you can move an audience to that but i i mean it it actually isn't as much of a feat as some people think it is to shock an audience no you know um shoot a dog in the head in the first 15 seconds of your film i guarantee you'll get a reaction that yeah. doesn't mean you've made a good film yeah, yeah. you know and and house of the devil is a perfect counterexample of how you can do so little and yet do so much. Yeah. The Innkeepers, uh, I haven't heard much about. I think it's a lighter film. I think there's more of a comic edge, and I think yeah. that sort of that tension really only seeps in near the end. So I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't I, want to. I got the sense from the writer, but yeah, I, I don't want to set expectations that it's a, you know. And but um, I haven't seen Ty West's earlier work, but I think his other stuff has also been very different. I think he's a filmmaker who is still finding, maybe finding his voice isn't the right word, but you maybe know, playing, he's, playing with different things a little bit and not trying to yeah. you know, maybe he's repeat got a himself voice everything that, out that of the gate. That comes through kind of eclecticism. Yeah. Not unlike the, the Coens, who make Cohen films, but they're so thematically you know, disparate. Yeah, yeah, but you can tell that they are. Yeah, and yeah. It's something often, you know, with young filmmakers, it's hard to tell um, what they're going to turn out to be or become and how their voice is going to manifest in that sort of way. Um, I'm trying to think if you have any young filmmakers on your list because I have one I'm very excited to talk about. Um, 
I'll go for it. Okay. Um, there's a film called Elena. Um, uh, is it on your list? No. No. Um, did you see The Return? No, but I remember reading about it and thinking, oh, yep. The Return, um, Russian film. I do I'm, love Russian film, um, but for whatever reason, I never got. I didn't get to it. I've got a couple other Russian films or Ukrainian films on my list. Yeah, I've got a Ukrainian film as well that I'm quite excited about. But um, Elena's the latest film by a filmmaker whose name I'm going to horribly butcher right now. Andrei Zivanikskiv, we'll say. Um, and uh, The Return was his first film. Oh, yeah. And um, story-wise, it's pretty straightforward. It's about um, a kid who's... Um, uh, two kids, actually. They're, his father's been in prison, comes home, and complications ensue. Um, they go on a road yeah. trip. Um, and, you know, I, I, on the whole, actually, you could probably make a Dardenne film um, <laughs> with the same plot. And I think it gets to sort of like, for me, there's a difference between plot, story, and what the film is. And it's just his use of the camera was stunning and um, very deliberate mo- motions, very um, articulate use of space. Um, yeah. These things sound very wanky. But um, there's something really important to me in a lot of this art, uh, the art films that I love, I guess, yeah, about yeah. Um, just this sense of being taken on this journey, this very assured journey through space. Yeah. And so Elena is a film I literally know next to nothing about. I know that it played con this year. I know that it's got some nice reviews from there. I know that some people who've seen The Return and his second film, The Banishment, which I haven't seen, which has gotten some really scathing reviews, um, right. consider it a big step forward from those, and it's a must-see for me. Cool. What do you have that you want to convince me about? <sighs> uh, what do I have that you don't already have? Well, Tyrannosaur is a film oh, Tyrannosaur, that I'm pretty yep. skeptical about, but tell me why you want to see it. Okay. Um, I don't know how good it's going to be. I, I It's directed by Paddy Considine, um, who many people recognised as an actor from uh, a bunch of different films um, including uh, Edgar Wright's Hot Fuzz um, one of the Andes two Andes um, but I really like a director Shane Meadows um, right. who is a British director who does kind of social realist stuff but with a cinematic and uh, yeah, and, and sort of dramatic edge to it rather rather than straight kind of I've skipped every Shane Meadows film because I thought it was social realism so uh, yeah <laughs> yes and no yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, there's something to his films and, and This Is England is a film that people speak quite highly yeah yeah This Is England is fantastic um, Dead Man's Shoes is pretty cool and that's sort of less social realism you might enjoy that um, uh, yeah. um, and so he and Peter Considine I think uh, from interview footage I've seen uh, studied together filmmaking okay. early on and in a very kind of informal they weren't at any sort of famous film school or anything like that they really just sort of went to a local uh, technical college to learn sort of basic filmmaking stuff um, and uh, very kind of in their community doing little projects um, I, and recently did this kind of little which something that looked like an extended skit recently called Ledonk and Scorsese which is right I saw that in the video store yeah. the other day which uh, which I is heard. which which it looks like a, a character piece um, where they've got a young guy who obviously raps and they've got um, Paddy Considine doing uh, a kind of a 
a loserish manager guy who, who, who wants to be a music promoter and a musician, uh, really insecure. Um, and uh, being a Shane Meadows film, it could have gone badly, but it, it sort of had a, a nice sort of upturn at the end. Um, wasn't a great piece of film, but like it was an interesting character study. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed the work they do together, so I'm kind of interested to see what Paddy Considine will make of a film that he's helming. Fair yeah. enough. There is quite a tradition of... Um... And British that's actors and that, going on to social realism yeah. films, isn't and, there, with and, the war and, room? And, 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 and it, it kind of ties in with that whole sense of uh, the things that you were talking about before about people that have come up together, mm. taking on yeah. different roles. And But he it's, he may have directed something before, but I haven't seen it. Um, and so this is the first feature I've seen that he's directed, so it'll be interesting to see how it goes. All right, well, this is where we pretend that uh, we're continuing on the discussion, but actually we had a bit of a mishap, so we're just going to uh, <laughs> um, roll on up here about a week later and finish off with a, yet a couple more recommendations. With fresh batteries. And, fresh uh, batteries. <laughs> we're not going to run out of power this time, and uh, we're going to bring this podcast home nicely. Um, I say nicely. My um, next recommendation is a, um, by all accounts, relatively brutal, um, dark r- Russian film called My Joy. Um, the joy would be ironic, of course. Um, it's the first narrative film by a Russian documentary director, um, and uh, he's—I say Russian—he's actually Ukrainian. Ukrainian, yeah. And uh, but the film's set in Russia, and it um, follows the course of a uh, truck driver over a couple days in his life as things are not going particularly well, and it kind of. Uh, I, I, Boonwell's been invoked, Kafka's been invoked. Yeah, was, yeah and, Kafka, the Kafka reference was uh, something that appealed, um, plus an abiding love of Russian cinema for me. So, yeah. Uh, I, I would definitely endorse My Joy as, as a kind of an offbeat pick if you're uh, if you're looking for something that might be a bit challenging but different. Yeah, it's, and it definitely falls under the category of films that will not come back and um, films that are yeah, not necessarily going to be pleasant but are going to be memorable in there <laughs> one way or another two uh k-action films this year that uh, that stick out um one uh the the yellow sea uh which is by do you remember the director's name i can't remember directed uh of the film the chaser. The chaser yeah yeah which is uh, a visceral cop drama from 2008 2009 i think um 2009 i'm pretty sure and it was it was pretty brutal uh and and that great tradition of Korean action sort of cop um, films, but I, I I think for me that the Chaser was really uh, one of the things about it was that it was it was almost like it was a kick back to the seventies in some ways. Like um, watching it was like watching um, some aspects of Serpico sort of jump to mind, um, just in terms of the filming style. Although it was much more brutal, kind of hunting down the killer sort of drama um anyway yellow sea is his next uh, effort and by all means um builds upon the success of um the chaser so looking forward to some pretty gritty hard-hitting action there yeah from what i've heard um the lsc ups the ante as far as production value as well so it'll be interesting to mm. see um um i heard i've heard one critic same um, actor wasn't it as well in the lead i don't know i guess i we'll think find it might out. be um but um, one critic I heard described it as, you know, you know, seemed like he was his tryout for a big American um, action film, which um, that sounds terrible. <laughs> well, but I, the same people hated the Chaser and called the Chaser just, you know, an attempt to do the same thing. And I oh, think, yeah. I think, you know, if you, if if you'd rather be watching Hong Sang Soo films, say to bring it back to the very beginning, then um, <laughs> um, you know, it's. 
not necessarily going to be to your taste, but um, I think Korea, bar none, has you know been consistently making a really yeah, solid yeah. stream of films. I mean, we discussed I Saw the Devil before, yeah. and um, you know that's just the tip of everything from you know Bittersweet Life and Dirty yeah, Carnival. Yeah. You know, it just goes back on to and Old on. Boy and what have you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think imaginative action. There's no question. And yeah, we've got a be, d- double dose fantastic. Of it. And yeah. usually there's um there's well, at least one or two um K action films um of note. Uh, and the other one this year is The Man from Nowhere. Now I I don't know a lot about this one, but uh, it looked like a pretty similar way, you know, kicking the adrenaline gland. Yeah, well, it's got um it's managed to get a bit of a theatrical release in the states, I think. So I've heard a bit from it there, and very glowing reviews and. Um, it's playing in the incredibly strange section this yeah. year, and um, rumored to be quite crowd pleasing. That there's that um, a traditional Sunday nine o'clock screening for um, incredibly strange, strange. films. <laughs> that, um, last year I think it was Splice, and the year before that it was um, uh, yeah. Drag Me to Hell. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> you know, there's often they're often quite um, big crowd pleasers. I'm a particular Drag Me to Hell fan, and uh, <laughs> uh, sadly I missed the screening that year. But I kind of expect the same sort of, you know joy of a big crowd rush and yeah, you know, yeah. seeing a film like the man from nowhere on the civic screen I mean, yeah you know, it's, it's pretty cool the civic is such a special place i mean i i am jealous of those people who lived here in the days where they got to see movies on it anytime yeah, they wanted on a regular it's, basis. it's yeah it is pretty phenomenal it's pretty good that we get used to it for the festival every year um yeah it's pretty cool yeah do you do you look up at the sky and wait for the uh, comets to go by oh yeah comets clouds do that whole thing <laughs> True. <laughs> kind of got him. Look at the uh, the little lion with the glowing eyes or lions. And for those who really, really don't like action, I've got a pick for you. Um, <laughs> uh, Belatar, the Hungarian director's uh, film, The Turin Horse. Um, An endearing story of um, boy and his horse. <laughs> no? <laughs> You're thinking of uh, The War Horse coming soon oh, from yeah. uh, Steven Spielberg. Um, it's loosely inspired by the, I think it's inspired by the story about how Nietzsche saw a horse beaten in the street and oh, okay. yeah, yeah. went insane. Um, but I really, I know that story quite well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of us spent way too much time in undergrad studying philosophy for no good employable reasons. <laughs> but um, regardless of the Nietzschean qualities of it, um, the Turin Horse um, is going to be a long, slow, black and white film um, that will be characterized by epic, slow-moving, but beautiful photography. And for me, that's enough to go um, slow down Not my... for the weak of cinematic heart. <laughs> The thing is, I, I, think, I can testify. I've seen um, only one Bellatar film I've managed to get myself to, um, which was a cold uh, viewing um, of uh, the Werkmeister Harmonies, or Werkmeister Harmonies, however you pronounce it, back in, oh, it must have been early O's, um, which was hard going. I remember 12 minute long shots when nothing happened. Maybe, you know, seven minutes into it, a couple of people walk past the camera very slowly. Um, but that film has stayed with me. I mean, he's, he's a, he, you got a, he really is a great filmmaker. And visually, um, the visual elements of his films are strong, even though it's slow moving. And, and, uh, yeah, it, he makes an impression. Yeah, well, I think, um, I think that slow films, you know, obviously some people just, 
completely say no. And then, um, for me, different, some slow films are incredibly engaging and some slow films I can't run away from fast enough. And, um, for me, it doesn't have so much to do as with how much is happening is how interesting the frame is to look at. I mean, yeah. um, if, if you've got a beautiful shot, you know, you can just get lost in it and, if it means you wander off, maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe that's something the director wanted you to do. Um, this little film that I um, have never forgiven, and is probably my Verkmeister, was um, Honor of the Knights, which played a couple of years back. I don't know that it, one. Um, it was um, um, a mini-DV, low-budget retelling of the Don Quixote myth. And I actually walked out, partially because I was going to go to a show, but I walked out about three minutes into the scene that was set at nighttime with them taking their armor off to go to bed with no um, lighting. <laughs> so <laughs> it was just black screen and clink, clink, clack. And it, it just seemed like a conceptual joke or something, but I would, I, yeah. So so I definitely think that, yeah, there, there's slow cinema that's um, <clears throat> to be avoided and there's slow cinema that's to be embraced. And um, if you can slow your nervous system down to the right level, I think Bellatar is, is one of those people to uh, yeah. Well, he's think he, you see them too. He is he is a legendary master, um, and his films do gain a lot on the big screen. For when I've heard, this is my first Bellatar big screen experience, um, and it's also supposed to be his last film. He's given oh, wow. up filmmaking okay. after this, so um, that's uh, another reason to perhaps get yeah, along to it. Yeah, you're not going to get another one in a few years. Um, yeah, and so you've got the black and white edge of technology, and then there's the other edge of technology. Yep. Um, uh, actually playing uh, post-festival, uh, a couple of 3D features. And I think uh, the reason uh, Bill Goldston, festival director, uh, talked about was that uh, Harry Potter, <laughs> the latest Harry Potter film, has taken up a lot of the 3D screens um, available, or 3D um, projectors available. Um, so... Just post um, the kind of festival proper um, 3D screenings of uh, two films. Um, latest documentary by uh, well-known film master Werner Herzog. Um, <laughs> I, I think he's one of those names that even people who don't really follow world cinema know yeah. these days because he's become such a um, almost cottage industry of a character yeah. now. You know, So he's doing uh, a feature called, or a documentary feature called Cave of Forgotten Dreams, which is about... Uh, uh, a cave in France um, with early cave paintings of uh, depicting uh, life and various things going goings on. One of the oldest uh, set of cave paintings in the world, um, and and a place where no filmmaker has been allowed in before, and he's been allowed in with full three D access. So it'll be for me, it'll just be interesting to see what Werner Herzog's going to do with the technology in, in a situation like that. I mean, the cave itself will be a, of great interest, but uh, personally, I have not a big interest or draw in 3D um, but Werner Herzog is such an interesting person that I really like to see what he, he does with it. Yeah well that's I think that's the interesting thing with this is the first time I think that 3D technology, I mean there's always been all these waves in the 50s and the 80s yeah. but this is the first time that 3D technology really has um, penetrated into art house cinema to my knowledge mm. and, um, and in a documentary which is 
you know, yeah, no, usually 3D, you think sort of big budget Hollywood action film. Harry Potter, as, you know, as yeah. an example. There's a, there's a few. I mean, um, not playing at the festival, the latest in the Cane Toad series, for instance, was screening in Australia when I was there, and unfortunately I missed it. But um, it does seem to be... Um, that some documentary filmmakers are, are trying it. And um, I think 3D is interesting in that it, it is about the experience of exploring a space that you couldn't see otherwise, um, which is what Cave of Forgotten Dreams is all about. None yeah. of us will ever get to go to... Um, well, th- I don't think any of us will ever get to go to this cave, but no. we will get um, as experiential of a cinema uh, version, the, of it, version the, it, yeah, it can. can exist. Yeah, and... Similarly, um, the Vim Vendors film Pina, or Pina, Pina? I don't know. P-I-N-A. Uh, that's playing, um, is interesting in that it's, it's about contemporary dance. And so it's taking another, you know, taking this other art form that exists naturally in three dimensions. Yeah. And bringing it to us. I gotta say, I gotta work hard, work hard to find, uh, to find motivation or excitement about a documentary about dance personally, but... I could see how it would be interesting, particularly Vin Vendors is a great director. and Yeah, well, he says it's ups I, I and still, downs. You know. <laughs> but, um, you know, I th- there's just something to me um, that seems quite inspired about combining that technology, that director, and that art form. And I think um, sometimes with some of the um, masters who've been around for a while, they can often get in a rut and Vim Vendors seemed to do this long string of movies that were all about how evil America is, um, you know, the end of violence and land of plenty and, um, and getting increasingly tedious for lack of a better word. (laughs) And so it's great to see something that's totally different from, I mean, this is the guy who did wings of desire, which for my money, I mean, that's the transformative film for me. And, um, and I think it's. I think he's going to take some visionary stuff and shoot it in a visionary way. And I think yeah. it will probably surprise people who might not think that they have an interest in dance, but they might not be able to get a ticket because uh, yeah, there will pretty... be a couple a uh, couple people beating at the door to see it. I think. Yeah. Well, there you go. Three D films. Um, very different from what you'd think of three D. Um, two interesting directors. <laughs> dance in three D and uh, and. And a prehistoric cave. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's not. It's not Transformers. It's not Harry Potter. Yeah. But it's. It's the same Metroplex. So yeah. you know, you can. <laughs> you can always do a double feature and compare and contrast. Um, the, the. I guess the other like group of things that I'm. I'm gonna see and that will be of interest to you is just kind of the for me the rest of the the IS program the incredibly strange program. Yeah, of course. Shut up, little man. That's um, that's a yeah really famous story. Uh, it's basically um, these two roommates who yelled at each other and a uh, third person on the other side of the wall who had an audio recorder and then uh, released those recordings onto the masses well masses would probably be an exaggeration but um, pre-internet days so we're talking vhs and yeah audio recording old tape recordings yeah, it is very much that viral. It's, it's, it seems almost of a piece with uh, Winnebago, Winnebago Man, Man yeah. actually, which, which was, was one fantastic. Of the, yeah, it's definitely a huge treat of uh, 2009. Mm. Um, so that this looks like it could be quite. Uh, I mean, in some ways, uh, you know, that kind of car crash voyeuristic sort of documentary sort of filmmaking, but uh, and yeah. otherwise just uh, quite an interesting look at at the behaviour of people and also um, the way culture 
like this pop culture like this perpetuates and and sort of finds resonance with uh, a wide group of people uh, and it also probably just be a bunch of screwed up people yeah, which yeah. <laughs> at the end of it you know we can all uh relate to a bit um kill list oh yeah yeah, Kill List is um, a really um, much heralded film that I want to tell very little about. Um, it's a British film. Uh, the director, Ben Wheatley, had done a film called Down Terrace before this, which I haven't seen, but it's been, it was reasonably well regarded. But this is, I think, working at a whole nother level. It's about a pair of hitmen. And in the course of it, it covers at least three genres from, you know, some of the obvious hitman stuff to British kitchen sink uh kind of drama and then it goes to a third place which i'm not even going to hint at um other than that's part of what lands it in the incredibly strange (laughs) festival and that uh fans of british genre cinema will um know what film uh we're thinking about when it comes out but um i think that's going to be one that um a lot of people are going to miss and are going to hear a lot of other people talking talking about about afterwards say kill list did you see kill list you know so consider Uh, that a tip yep and the other last one for me, and it's, I don't know that it's uh, particularly a recommendation so much as just uh, the whole idea of having uh, a film centered around clowns, creepy clowns, <laughs> appeals, is uh, Last Circus. Right. I um, yeah. <laughs> I, I have a bit of a clown phobia from a childhood experience with Poltergeist. Oh, so you'll be seeing it? Uh, I am seeing it, actually. <laughs> um, well, Alex de la Iglesia. The amount of people who see who have clown phobias <laughs> and the amount of times that kind of phobia is referenced in film and television is fantastic there was something yeah. about them people dressed up and smiley or sad faces yeah well it is um, it is something that hits that I think um, I think it is all those things you're exposed to as a child and like that never seem quite right and I think everybody just winds up having some experience whether it's you know in my case watching poltergeist with a little clown doll or just going to a circus and there being a creepy clown that's not really that happy to be there <laughs> um but um no um last circus actually i saw the description i wasn't going to watch it um alex de la Iglesia has done some things i've liked he did day of the beast and um action mutante um dance with the devil a few other things um, You're getting a feel for his uh, work with these titles. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's he's a he's an um, he's definitely a big, crazy kind of genre filmmaker. His films often operate at eleven on every level, like in just in terms of very big um, and aggressive. But um, interestingly, Last Circus won awards at the Venice Film Festival, and um, it's actually he's taking a step up. Yeah, well, it's. It looks like the most polished thing by far I've seen from him. I mean, Action Mutante, as I recall, like ho- sort of hovers around the bad taste um, oh, yeah. realm of uh, um, lack of polish, shall we say. So um, that... Um, we should note that a uh, recurring feature of this podcast is drinking scotch as well. Um, this is the Aberlour Abanad. Abunad, yeah. We're as good we're as good with Scotch names as we are with directors' <laughs> names. But um, anyway, all of that's a long way of saying that um, I usually don't watch trailers, and I kind of watch the trailer with the intent of feeling good about crossing it off the list, and instead, it suddenly made the list in big caps. Yeah. So um, basically, um, clowns who discover a mutual passion for mayhem and murder and uh, live the dream. Um, and you've got Knuckle on your list as well yeah Knuckle um, is a documentary um, following 
a couple of feuding uh, Irish bare knuckle boxing families. So uh, anybody who's possibly seen Guy Ritchie, Brad Pitt, Snatch, Snatch, um, remembers Brad Pitt's character being a bare knuckle boxer. Um, well, it's it's pretty much that kind of thing uh, with a couple of families in Ireland who who uh, engage in bare knuckle boxing fighting. But between these two families and a big feud, ongoing generational feud, um, and just looking at that. I guess the topic just seems fascinating. It's something so uh, foreign to my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, well, an Irish accent is always appealing, but uh, <laughs> but just the idea of people kind of beating each other uh, without gloves and that turning into a kind of a, almost like a family, inter-family ritual. Uh, you mm-hmm. could say feud, but I guess there's, there's, there's something almost more to it than that. Yeah, I think ritual is probably the right word. Um the um to be honest the subject matter isn't really that appealing to me lots of people do lots of unfortunate mm. things but um i the incredibly strange section usually only plays one or two documentaries <coughs> a year if that but um as a result they all tend to be incredibly um worthwhile films i'm thinking of everything from best worst movie and winnebago man which we discussed dear before zachary. dear zachary which is crazy so, yeah <laughs> I, I, one of the most compelling films that's played at the festival in years. Yeah. Um, uh, Audience of One, which was one from a few years ago, which was brilliant. That, okay. Um, about, um, about a priest at a church who has a vision for a film that he's going to make. And, oh, um, oh, yeah, I remember reading about that. Yeah, stunning, stunning film. Um, TV Junkies, another one. Yeah, um, Z Channel. True, I didn't see that at the festival, but Z Channel, yes, yeah, I caught up with later. And so um, I think there are always good ones to take a chance on. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, even even if the subject matter doesn't appeal to you, um, you're going to find something in those characters that's really well off the beaten path. And in a year where a lot of the documentaries, I think this year, tend to be really um, issue-focused by and large, yeah. um, perhaps more so than many some years, Um I think the knuckle and shut up little men are both, you know, <laughs> yeah. going in a very different direction um, while still telling amazing true stories. Yeah. Worth taking a punt on. Yeah. Um, one last film that I'll mention, which yep. I um, had, uh, I'm probably not going to get to, but I think is worth pointing out because some people find it interesting is called uh, over your city's grass will grow also in the slow cinema section. And I, I watched about, I, I managed to find a segment of it online. Basically it's about a, um, German artist living in the south of France, um, Anselm Kiefer, uh, oh, yeah, who yeah. created this series of... Um, it's it's almost like installation art written large. It's, he's taken over a town that's on the edge of um, <laughs> the woods and created these pathways. And from what I saw of the film, it's not really a documentary about the, uh, the artist so much as an experience of visiting that artwork that he's done mm. through the medium of film. Um, so for those of you um, with an artistic kind of bent, I, I think it's, and it, to me, the the whole matchup between the natural world and mm. the man-made world, which seems to be something he's trafficking in, yeah. is really compelling to me and how that kind of comes together and falls apart. And the chance that I'll get to the south of France to see this yeah, anytime soon is not high. So He's just, certainly a name in the art world as well to sort of take note of. Yeah, yeah. He's quite he's quite well respected from what I understand. I'm I'm relatively ignorant along those lines, but 
you know. Um, so yeah, that's another one to look out for. Um, you got any last ones, or shall we? Uh, um, oh, good. I think that's probably us. But uh, one thing I wouldn't, I'd like to mention that I just um, found out today was uh, a film we talked about earlier as uh, one that we're worth getting to. Um, Martha Marcy May Marlene um, is not getting um, cinematic re- uh, theatrical release in New Zealand. So. Um, is that definite or is that um, from what I hear um, yeah. a friend contacted Fox to find out and they said that there was no plans to release it yeah. locally I yeah. mean probably DVD will, will arrive maybe at some stage but if you want to see it in cinemas take the chance to do it now That that's probably true for most of the films I mean I can only name a handful that are guaranteed and I've, you know, last year for instance we got lucky or a film like Winter's Bone played yeah. and that did well enough um, in the Oscars that it wound up coming back here. Yeah. But I imagine it's something similar with Martha Marcy May Marlene is that they'll sit on it, they'll put it out in the States eventually. If it really catches and it fire and becomes an indie hit, back, yeah. then yeah. And if not, then it'll just get shuffled out on DVD. But you no might have a long notice. wait. Well, that's true. I mean, that, <laughs> that's the interesting thing about being here, isn't it? That, you know, you get um, the Hollywood blockbusters a day and a half before the States do, and then everything else, you can wait months and months. months yeah. So... Um, it's a bit of a uh, fire hose of things to try to catch up with in a short yeah. period of time, but um, <coughs> but it's, you know, it's a great looking program, and uh, the only mistake is not to go. Yep, and uh, this has been Best Worst Podcast, Episode One, Parts part, One and Two. Parts One and Two. <laughs> we did promise that the other ones will be uh, perhaps a bit more self-contained, and yeah. uh, <laughs> and uh, what's up next for us? Maybe a festival report midway through. Yeah, I think so. Sounds good. We'll find a. Uh, Stairway to curl up in under the Civic and uh, tell you what we've been enjoying. Excellent. Nice to have you here with us. Take care.